Jeff here. Thanks for listening. Go to playvolutionhq.com slash ccbag or click the link in the show notes for the show's archives, ways to connect, ways to support the show, information about happy hour, and more. studio in the snuggery along the Gulf of Mexico with me just back from the library Stephanie how you doing Stephanie you got a little flower tiara happening there I do they're little mushrooms remember we were talking about the mushrooms oh yeah oh okay (laughs) delicious yeah Amanita they'll kill (laughs) you Hey, we're gonna we're gonna get into some some more of our deep dive into resilience with uh with a discussion of resilience and storytelling in a minute. But I got a, a couple show notes. Um, first, this is kind of a, a big one. I I just canceled the child care bar and grill phone number for the voice and text. So don't text or call two two eight three six three six seven three seven anymore. Um. I was perfectly happy with the number, but the the provider, look, it was just a Zoom digital number that I was using. I added onto my Zoom account because like $10 a month, no big deal. But then uh, due to some new fa- federal regulations uh, for me to be able to use the the text, um, the SMS service of the, the number, they wanted way too much personal information, um, including like my social security number, tax ID number, that kind of stuff. And so I said, uh, fuck those guys because... Because um, fuck the federal government is always on the tip of my tongue. And and so I will go out of my way to make my life more difficult um, just to spite myself, I guess. So um, listeners, if you want to reach out, you can do that now at playhaven.com. You got to register. It takes a minute. You enter your name and email address and you, you respond to a confirmation e- email and then and then you're in. And you can text me. There's a private messaging in there. So you can text me privately. You can, you can, you can un- upload audio files there. You can just send text messages. So you can still connect. Um, for some of you, you might be thinking, oh, that's just too fucking difficult. But the thing is, at the moment, um, 80 to 85, 90% of the people who have been past callers thus far are already logged on to Playhaven. So if you were going to call, you would probably end up joining Playhaven anyway. So um, you might as well jump in and do that. Um, so so that's that. Stephanie, you ever do anything just to, just to spite yourself, just to make life more difficult for yourself? All the time. <laughs> I'd like to make it clear that my my thoughts on uh, fuck the federal government are, are are my thoughts alone. They don't uh, they're they're not the thoughts or opinions of any co-host of the show. Um, but I mean, fuck those guys. I, I I just want a little bit of privacy and a little bit of personal liberty. And I know there are young people listening to this this podcast that that have grown up in a surveillance uh, a post nine eleven surveillance state who who don't have any any concept of privacy he left anymore and 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 think jeff why are you being such an asshole just but 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 look um i'm old and grouchy and so there you go um so there's that any any thoughts on that little bit of a rant stephanie (laughs) i love rants (laughs) that's why i live in this fairy tale world because Mm. people can just avoid you because they're afraid that you're you're like little odd yeah yeah and and, and look it's not like i've got anything to hide from the federal government or 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 that i that i i mean but giving a a private business my personal information that they they then check on a date on a government database um kind of just rubs me the wrong way um so that's that um had a speaking of of listeners uh listener stephanie reached out uh the other day with a text message the the last text message I received on the previous text number um, to let me know we I did an episode with uh, Nicole a little back a little while back talking about uh, AI 
in early learning. And that was kind of a fun conversation. Stephanie shared that her her husband has been playing uh, playing around with some of the the uh, chat GTP, uh, whatever it is, uh, AI uh, modules and um he she he he played he he asked for information about Emma a, a pickler, and uh, and uh, because he'd heard her talking about um, this person who is kind of not well enough known in the early learning world, and uh, shared with her the response the chat gave, and and actually the 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 artificial intelligence uh, came up with a a pretty good. Um, outline of of picklers and and uh resources for infant rei right uh resources for infant for anyway it's that 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 baby stuff um uh came up with a a pretty good uh outline of of her thoughts and thinking and so there there is kind of a little bit of hope for the ai world out there but stephanie thought it was kind of kind of funny that uh, she she talks about all this stuff and and her husband was actually listening um and and decided to play around with some of that early learning stuff so that was kind of neat thanks for reaching out stephanie um so that's uh that's my my rants now that we're five fucking minutes into the show stephanie what are we really talking about well i mean you're doing it you're telling a story right <laughs> And so that's what we're really talking about is stories and AI is a fast, I mean, that's a rabbit hole we could go down with how AI is taking AI as storyteller, but that's not really what we're going to talk about today because I really don't know much about AI. Um, we're going to be talking about storytelling and resilience and why I believe that storytelling is one more of those early childhood strategies that um, we can focus on and that nurtures all of the protective factors for resilience. And it's wonderfully fun and imaginative and does all it does all the things. And so storytelling, story not story reading. Correct. I mean, I, I, if you looked at my house right now, you would see stacks and stacks and stacks of children's books. I love children's books. I love all books. Um, but this is actually telling stories with kids without the book, because the books, as much as I love them and as much as I use them always and still use them, the book is like a layer between the, the teller and the listener. And when we're talking about children, well, anybody, but um, I think it, when we're, we think about relationships, I mean, we know that early childhood, all education, all it's, it's all about relationships. Sure. And for me, as a, as a early educator, a caregiver, that when I was telling a story, there was no separation. It was Stephanie talking to Jamal and Tisha and, and Jimmy and they it was as though we were having a conversation and to me that, that that is such a powerful way and it's so easy to do as and and it's engaging and it's and it promotes resilience um because it gives you that re relationship to start off with um and it builds that relationship because you're entering you're with a child entering in there into their world and unlike when we enter into kids' world when they're doing dramatic play, often we can pop the bubble. Sure. But this is this is more like we're we're sharing something out of our our experiences or out of our background with them. And it's I've found it with kids of all ages, it's perceived as as more uh, interaction rather than you button into my play and telling me that you want to be the princess now, that kind of thing. So the only place where I slightly disagree with you is on the easy part. Um, my my experience has been that there are a lot of people out there who find storytelling to be really, really difficult because, because they haven't done the reps. And so if it's something you're brand new to, um, getting started, jumping into it might be might be a bit of a challenge for you, huh? Absolutely. And I think that I think that there are more people who say, because I've, I've taught storytelling workshops for decades, and a lot of people are like, oh, I can't do that. And but we do. I mean, you tell stories all the time. Our brain is a narrative organ like we tell it. I mean, sure. it analyzes it, but we always we're always telling stories. And if you're 
afraid that you can't tell stories to a group of kids, tell them what you had for breakfast that morning. I mean, if, when you try it, I, I mean, certainly when I've done it, kids are fascinated with the fact that I have a life that's not in this classroom and I, I eat eggs. I have, I, I, I like peanut butter on a piece of toast sometimes. And though, I mean, that's, I would say that's an easy way to start thinking of yourself as a storyteller because you're doing it all the time. If you, if you, you just told us a story. I mean, you know, yeah. you wouldn't use the F-bomb with a group of three-year-olds. Maybe you would. Um, but but we tell stories. Children tell stories all the time. That's what they do in their play. And I've never found children judgmental if you're telling them a story because it's when we're most authentic. And kids need to know that as an adult, I see that as our primary role with with children is to to be authentically ourselves so that they can feel like they can be authentically themselves. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. And we, I mean, we're walking around in the 21st century worried about artificial intelligence, but we're walking around with, with essentially 10,000 year old hunter gatherer brains that are, that are wired for sitting around the campfire, sharing, sharing stories. And so, um, so much that that goes on, even even on the social media, the the YouTubes and the TikToks, a, a lot of that is just just storytelling. I mean, it's digital storytelling, but right. it's just a it's just kind of a, a a multimedia version of of sharing stories. That's what this podcast is. It's uh it's it's uh me and a a band of wackos uh showing up into into people's ear holes. Um, on a on a fairly fairly regular basis, and so and and telling stories um, and having conversations, and so we're we're wired for that. Um, so I got a question for you. When we're talking about storytelling, is there a difference between storytelling and story reciting? Yes, yes. Because think about um, and you know, I, I can talk about some really easy stories that that people can like already know, and they can like spit them out. Everybody who's listening to this could tell the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, or I would guess 99.9% could sure. tell that story without even thinking about it. And for me, it gets back to that authenticity and the idea that what we want to do with children is to nurture relationships with kids by being authentic and by being ourselves. And that means you take the story and you make it, you tell it as, as your own story because it doesn't matter that I, I think of stories when you're using storytelling as loose parts. Like if you think I, I as you know, my, my passion is folk and fairy tales. And I look at all of those as almost like a, you know, construction kit that you can sure. take one from here, plop in a setting from here, throw in a character from here, put this kind of a problem in and click it together. And you can mix and match those so that they feel to the children who are around you as though they are, you're talking about your own experience. I've told stories to even older kids about me living on a glacier. I mean, as an ancient indigenous person who lived on the glaciers in Northwestern Pennsylvania and the sixth graders asked me if it was true Sure. I mean, I sure. and, and children are, yeah. So story reciting to me, that means memory mm -hmm. and, and you can, you can do that, but I think it's not nearly as much fun and it's not as, it, it doesn't tie in as much to resilience because it's more like, I think of that as more like lecture. I mean, it's a great place to start. And I don't, I don't judge people. I've known people who have spent a long time memorizing stories and, and go in and, and it's fabulous. Um, yeah. It's, it's a good jumping off place. If you're yeah. uncomfortable, kind of, kind of being more, more loose and free flow with it. Right. Right. And, and, and you, you, you mentioned kids, those older kids believing it was true. Um, my, my daughter used to spend a, a number of years believing she was a pirate princess 
Um, because I, I used to tell her the story about how, how the way, um, me and her, her mother, my wife met was that, uh, that my wife Tasha was the, the daughter of the pirate King and, and, uh, my ship attacked his ship and I overthrew him and I, and I took her and, and we fell, we fell in love. It was one true love. And, and then she grew up the, when she was little, she lived in the pirate ship with us and everything. And, and it was, she was probably six when she started questioning the the reality of that story but we told versions of that story and used that 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 family myth as a jumping off point for for stories for for years and years and it was a it was a shitload of fun yeah and and you know if you want to like tie in i mean Sometimes I feel like people are like, oh, you're always talking about resilience, not talking about fun. Kids just need to have fun. Well, of course, like like good, good stuff. I mean, of course it was fun and it was imaginative and it was creative and it bonded you as a family. So I'm Mm -hmm. just going to like throw these little protective factors, just like bing, 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 bullet points. So in that example, obviously the relationship building is the, that's the biggest protective factor for resilience. And it's with, okay, that's great. What about initiative? I mean, you talked about, like, I'm thinking of myself and we actually had a princess story in my family too, based in truth as well. Um, um, But if you think about self-efficacy and feeling an agency, I mean, walking around town knowing you're your princess, a pirate princess gives you a sense that you can do anything. Um, that that perseverance, being able to like keep going at at a task. I mean, you all showed her that you'll keep developing this story for as long as you need to. You're problem solving, but how could we live in a ship when actually there's an apartment building across the street? And so you can pivot as an adult and as kids. They see that that um, it ties into cognitive flexibility, one of those executive functions. Um, you got to keep your working memory going because if you're telling a story, especially one that has multiple layers to it, um, you've got to keep in mind, you know, like, what did we tell last night? Or what was the thing I did just now? I was telling a story of, of um, a wonderful variant of Cinderella that Jane Yolen wrote called The Moon Ribbon, one of my uh, just beautiful story. And I was I, thought, I was like, I know Cinderella. I'm just going to like wing it and like add mm-hmm. her beginning and end. And I forgot to mention the stepsisters like work my working memory it was a big conference and I just like went out of my brain and so my working memory was offline temporarily which it usually doesn't go offline when you're telling the story but then I was able to use that cognitive flexibility and I threw those stepsisters right in there like I can't even remember how I did it but I, I think you know if you think of yourself as a storyteller um, it, it d- promotes all of those. And if you think of children, I, I think we, when we model storytelling, when we tell stories, we're not only showing what it is to be the most human and authentic, but we are inviting them to take those wild imaginations that they have and start to pull their loose parts together and start to create, um, to problem solve what their stories are gonna be like, what works in the story, what doesn't, what's what's fun, what makes me giggle, what, you know, what, why are, when are, when are people gonna be afraid? I mean, it, it just allows that process to, um, it's gonna happen with children anyway, because that's, that's who they are, mm-hmm. but it gives them, um, I don't know. So like, I hate to use the word structure because it's like a bad, bad word, but it's not really. I mean, it shows us showing them how there is a structure to story and how, how it works. Um, And then we get to self-regulation. I found that telling stories to children is the most powerful way to promote, to co-regulate with kids, to promote self-regulation because they are um i was listening to to that early childhood nerd and they were talking she was talking about um to, with tamar jacobson about self-regulation and how we think about self-regulation is like management and discipline and all that stuff i never had any problems getting children to self-regulate to sit like we want them to sit in circle time if that's what we want to do when they were right in their imaginations. I mean, it's the same thing when we we see kids when they're they're actively playing or they're building, when they are so much into their imaginations and so engaged in the process that they want to stay there. 
And that to me is how kids develop those neural networks for self-regulation is by, I, I, could, I could jump up and leave, but then I won't find out if the pirate's going to get back on the ship after he goes into town for his rom. Yeah, and- there, there, it's a, it's amazing the the length of the attention span of a child who's actually interested in something. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Duh, right? I mean, and, and it's the same thing for us. Sure. You know, like, I'm not self-regulated. I, I am in the grocery store. I'm like twitching. I'm, I'm in line. I don't do. I don't want to do that. I don't want to sit and be bored anywhere. Um, and I wiggle. And I'm I'm well old enough to be able to, I mean, I have self-regulation, so my wiggles don't take me out of the chair. But when I'm engaged in listening to something interesting or uh, uh, or doing something I like, of course, I'm going to self-regulate. And kids need, because they're at the very beginning stages of developing all of these skills, they need many opportunities to, to have a reason to engage even I know, I know like we could talk about circle times and circle times can be the worst thing in the entire universe, but they certainly haven't ever gone away in most kinds of programs, some programs. And so if I, I, I like to think of storytelling as, as yet another tool or a bridge for people who are really want to do the best um, child centered and um, progressive and process oriented um, early childhood, but still feel like they got to have a circle time because kids should be in groups. And storytelling to me is the way to do it. Um, both you as a storyteller, and then if we have time, which we may not, um, storytelling, story acting, which is a process that Vivian Paley developed that is even more powerful um, than than just teacher telling stories to kids, because it's basically then it's kids telling stories to teachers and then as a group acting them out. And it's um, it, it, there's actually real a lot of real research based um, on on kids and how that process also nurtures all of those protective factors for resilience. Um, yeah, sure. Be, I mean, if if uh, kids are being exposed to, I don't know the new Barbie movie, which I guess is a thing. I have kind of a a a, a in my peripheral vision. I know this is the thing that's out there in the world, or or Star Wars. If 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 that's what they're consuming, that's going to show up in their their dramatic play in their fantasy play. If they're being in, if they're engaging with with storytelling, the the things that happen in those stories are going to be the jumping off places for 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 that kind of play and interaction. And so, um, we're we're kind of helping feed their imagination by helping 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 them along with stories, huh? Absolutely. And if you and like just right in that little example um if you watch anything you're not imagining it i mean you're there's some process of the imagination that's going on but children during especially the early childhood years that's when your representational abilities your ability to see the pictures in your head goes online because it's part of language mm-hmm. and anything that's coming in from the outside is superseding whatever the child is imagining in their own head even pictures can be like it's one step back from their child's own imagination. But if you are telling a story to a child, the visuals are the ones that they create. And we want to know, we know how important it is for kids to to, to um, be seen, be heard as their individual selves. And this is an invitation for them. You know, like you want the three bears to be like great, huge black ones, you got it. Your three bears are your teddy bears that that are sitting on your bed. No problem. Your three bears are um, dressed in like Jan Breddy kind of little like embroidered clothing and stuff. Um, that's yours. Um, even a story like R- Little Red Riding Hood. I, I surveyed a bunch of college students a number of years ago um, about who had, who what did she look like? And I've done I've done it a bunch bunch of times. Describe Little Red Riding Hood for me. And in a class of 20 adults, 20 teachers, you got about 15 completely different images. Um, she sure. never hit, she never hit the big, you know, she never was a Disney movie. Um, so some of them were from books, but some of them were, they just 
co-created this image. And, and so we're inviting children to, we're telling them that what you imagine is, it's just as real as anything else. Yeah. Yeah. It It's, it's a fun process for for me. You know, I we I did some of the some storytelling with with larger groups, circle time type stuff. But but for me, it was mostly kind of a a sidelines thing. Uh, the the group would be engaged in in free play, and I would be sitting at the picnic table or against the wall when we were inside, um, just kind of observing and and being available. And somebody plopped down next to me and we'd start talking and and then a story would evolve from there and and maybe another kid or two would join us and and maybe not. And so it was more these informal kind of spur of the mm-hmm. moment kind of things. And and I think for 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 me that was a lot more fun because it was it was a lot easier to to personalize the stories when when the groups were 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 really small two or three kids instead of six or eight absolutely and that's another great way to to you know i mean to me as i said like we're always telling stories i mean snack table is a great time like you sit down with kids at at snack or at at lunch and and you you know like you want to have conversation and and they start making i mean the kids you know if they're playing with their goldfish Mm -hmm. like talking to each other you know like that's that they're telling a story and and if they if you want to help them add a little bit to it i mean there's so much that we can do that engages young children because they are they are they are they're about the story they're always living in a story so why are we trying to like put distance between them and their stories and then our stories and and the children that, that we care for. Um, and I, I think it just, it's, it's what our brains need. Like everything, like everything else about resilience is they, it, um, it, it, it fosters all of those really important um, faculties that they are developing in, in that time. And it, yeah, that's, um, so, that, so what about collaborative storytelling? I mean, is that what we're talking when we're talking storytelling? Are, are we just assuming it's collaborative or are we as the adults telling our stories and, and then sometimes the kids are jumping in or how? I mean, how I, mean it, I think it's a continuum of all the kind, all the things. What I found is even if we take like a uh, like, all right, here's Stephanie and she's telling the story of the turnip today in uh, to a group of 20 kids like we'll take that as like the that's one one end of the continuum even that is collaborative because if i'm pulling and pulling and pulling on this turnip to get it out of the ground so are the kids like i've never had to say you may now pull help the dog sure. pull the turnip they i mean you know you i i know you're very interested in movement and how kids need to move when they duh, do um, but that's one of the things that that is a way that children collaborate. Maybe they don't collaborate on the words necessarily, but they collaborate on the movements. They collaborate on the emotions that are expressed. You know, you, you can see it like I'm looking into their eyes and 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 I can personalize it. And I know that that, you know, Jimmy like would rather have a carrot. And like so I throw a carrot into his story. Um and so I think that even in a group setting, it is collaborative. I think that's that's um, I, I since the pandemic, I've I've connected with um, there are a number of story adult storytelling doing adult storytelling for adults via Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really wonderful, and and I that that's one of the points of discussion after the stories are told is how they ask everybody to keep their cameras on as the audience because it's a collaboration like they you know like if the kids are like like this then i'm not gonna like go to the next part without like doing something more with with their what they're engaged in what their attention is so i'd say even in a group setting it is collaborative it when you're doing it in an individual it can be collaborative child can tell you a story that's one thing i like about um storytelling um story acting is that the actual story comes from the child and Vivian Paley was really clear like you don't have to ask any bunch of questions you write down the words exactly as they come out of the child's mouth whatever that is and if the story is one word that's the story and and uh so the teacher scribes it and then 
the act story acting part is the kids gather in a, in a group and the child who right, is the author gets to tell what part in the story they want to play. I want to be the princess. Um, and then the teacher picks out the other kids for all the other parts and they can be, you know, like I had kids, I mean, who added fences and trees and rainbows and like inanimate objects, fair game. And then the teacher reads the story and the children co-create it. They act it out um, according to their part. And it is, I used to think that I would never want to be on a desert island I mean, people say, well, if you were on a, if you had a, a preschool or early childhood setting on a desert island and you could only bring one material, what would it be? And I, I was like, wow, I got the sand and water already there because it's desert island. So sure. it's blocks. I always, I mean, that was my go-to. Um, but after I started using storytelling, story acting, um, I said, you know, I don't really need any materials. Like this is such a powerful um, strategy that children are so engaged with that is beneficial on so many different levels. And they, they, that I would, I would, I would do that anytime I wouldn't need, I wouldn't even need any blocks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do one of the presentations I do and it's, it, it's, it's, it's harder to do on zoom, but um, it's about fantasy and imaginative um, uh, play. And, and we, we would do with, with the adults, a, a story making um activity where where we have the groups get together in small groups and and build stories together mm -hmm. and 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 then give them an opportunity to come up and share their stories now some groups would come up and read but i would tell them you know you get extra double secret points if you you act it out and so then we would we would end up with these groups of six or seven people, somebody reading the story and then these other adults um, being props and being the characters in the stories and acting them out. And it's just hilarious when mm -hmm. adults allow themselves to to let go and have have fun this way. And so it's not just a it's not just a kid thing. No. Um, it's it can it can totally be an, a, an adult adventure, too, which is, again, goes back to that wiring of our brains. We're wired for for sharing and telling stories. Right. And, and I think that um, I mean, I, I do that kind of stuff with adults in my workshops, too, because I think that adults forget that they can make stories. Yeah, that that they can make up their own stories and that they can have so much fun acting it out. And to me, that is like you're using I'm using it for to like link people to thinking about more about storytelling and you're doing it because of its dramatic play. And um, and once once you be once you realize what kids are getting out of it when you've done it, then it's really hard to look at children engaged in some kind of a dramatic play situation and not be gobsmacked by how powerful it is and how much they're they are learning and developing just from a, a simple cat story that they've been playing for three weeks sure and 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 so you can formal have these kind of informal formal situations where you're telling a story and, and kids are acting it out but i think just regular telling i mean i mean kids start doing this on their own spontaneously right Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so I, I, I think we need to be explicit in saying that sharing stories, kids don't need to be sedentary. Uh, encouraging that pulling of the turnip um, is is probably something we we want to do. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've actually I was doing storytelling in, in an elementary school once, and the teacher came over and told I can't remember it was like something where the rock was going. I was like ba ba boom ba ba boom, and the kids were all like doing it with me, and she was like shh 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 and still, and it was all like backhander because no, kids respond with their bodies. We want kids to do that, and and if they're in a dramatic play situation, they are moving naturally. They are doing it. And I think Vivian Paley wrote a lot about, um, I mean, that's where she got her ideas, where she observed children playing. And she sure. was then trying to figure out, okay, so how can I externalize their play just enough so that they become co-creators of written stories as well and co-acted stories and make that link between i mean when she was teaching kindergarten make that link 
into into written language and all of those other things without sitting and teaching them the alphabet because they will read their own stories far earlier than they will read something that somebody else wrote so i mean that was that was a piece of it for her mm -hmm. um for older kids but i think you know and i've tried it too i like i tried sitting in the dramatic play area and writing down the stories that the kids were were doing and and those were pretty quicksilver i found like they were i was having a hard time capturing what they were doing maybe because i was just so fascinated and i just wanted to watch and join in um, but when they're sitting down in there, you've modeled telling stories and they're sitting there and they have one, you one-on-one -on -one, and they're, they're dictating a story. They're, they're making a mm -hmm. story up. It, it is, um, it, there, it's, it's a little bit different. There's a shade of variation there that I, I found is really productive for kids in helping them to think through, you know, seek the, like, what makes a good story? I had one kid who who told a story, the same kinds of stories. It was they were always fighting stories. A little bit older kids, they were like six, and all of his stories yeah. were fighting. And I had a kids give him feedback after it. And this one little girl said, "You know, Ryan, your stories are always kick punch, kick punch, kick punch. Where's the story?" I mean, she's six, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh." <laughs> How and she dare was like, you? He, he, no, no. He was the next story he told was something like the cat went up the hill, I mean, <laughs> which was more of a story than like fight, 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 fight. <laughs> and I think that that kids are, I, I mean, I think that it really supports them in thinking about themselves as, as readers and as writers, as well as, as storytellers and as players. And, you know, even though they don't read a single word, they will consider themselves authors if they have told a story that is, written down and acted out by their friends. And then, and then, and it becomes collaborative, not only in the acting out of the story, but the themes of the stories I found sort of bounce through a group of, just like in play, they bounce through a group of children. And so somebody comes up with a really cool idea. Like they put a, um, you know, like a, a, a monster that eats um, fireflies into their mm -hmm. store. And then the next day, like there's another monster that's eating fireflies from another child. And I think that, you know, they, they start to view themselves as this story making group as in play, but it's, there's just, I, I found that there's something just a little bit, a little bit different and it adds something to the play. And then they start taking those themes and they move them back into, into their, their dramatic play and it, they deepen it and they engage more fully. Um, and, and a week and a half later, you end up with uh, fireflies eating monsters. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> or somebody with a giant comes along and smashes them. Sure. Them, yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but you to see the evolution of the kids thinking and it's and they really are co-creating. And your role as as adult in the room is just to scribe. And I used other children to like I I you know, I, I had seventh graders come when I was in a preschool and I had them being the scribes and they, the older kids got into it. I mean, it's just story-making is something that we all do. And it, the research on how it promotes every single one of those uh, protective factors for resilience is, is, is pretty compelling. And it, it's something that it, to me, you don't need, you don't need money. You don't need any materials. You, you can do it just everybody can do it and everyone is a natural storyteller um and as you say if you want to start with just one child and a story about what you did for over your summer vacation that that's fine but just i encourage teachers to to try it out it's so much fun we can talk about burnout of, of, you know, like what, because we don't have enough time to, to really engage with kids and, and have the fun and, you know, we're off crying in the bathroom. And, um, but I, I've never found myself anything less than completely energized by telling a story, a simple story to a group of kids. And you can tell the same story 15 times and they don't care. You can switch, you know, loose parts, pull in a car carrot pulling the turnip. I switched it into a fishing story once and they were pulling the fish out. Um, I mean, simple story, frame story, 
loose part goldilocks from the three little pigs oh yeah i mean yeah and, yeah <laughs> and and i mean it's it's so much well okay so this just popped into my head um what about themes uh, my experience is when you allow little humans the opportunity to tell their own story, sometimes themes, maybe it's fighting and punching, maybe it's kicking and punching all the time, but sometimes those themes can go into, into darker um, places. And my experience is sometimes adults aren't, I mean, we want everything to be, be magical fairies and unicorns. And sometimes kids want to go to, to darker um places and so do we do we support that do we redirect it what's your i mean i've got my take but what's yours i i as i mean i mean i'm sitting here with a fairy crown on my head i am all about the magical creatures <laughs> um but i think the, that was what i like about fairy tales is that they do go into the darker places that's why people don't like are very hesitant about using fairy tales sometimes with children and I think that that is one of the things that, you know, fairy tales are the risky play of children's literature. And we are doing children an enormous disservice by not providing them with stories that have darkness in them because the world has darkness in it. And these children often in their own storytelling, I never stopped a child from whatever story they were, were telling. I never, I never personally got stories about um, that I felt were too dark and to act them out. Um, I mean, that again, that externalizes it and you've got kids in there. And, you know, if somebody gets punched, I mean, we had rules, like you, you're not allowed to physically, when you're telling a story, when you're acting a story out, you can't physically touch anybody. So mm -hmm. if somebody, you know, if somebody gets killed, then you go, you're, you know, the teacher, the kids don't say anything necessarily when they're acting it out. The teacher's just narrating it. And then the monster killed the boy. And the boy, you point, boy falls down dead. And then, and then it's over. Like to me, that is for whatever reason that the child wanted to talk about it. Is it because they saw a murder? I mean, maybe, but probably not. Um, but they're, you know, like to say, to say that darkness is bad, that the shadow is bad, that your thoughts that you're having these ideas about, this this story is bad is for a lot of kids it's basically saying what's going on outside of this classroom to you is bad and that's yeah. a horrible 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 message yeah and um, and whether those dark themes are coming from other media that the the kid has consumed or from things they've experienced in their real life those things are in their heads and and I mean, my my thought is that I'd much rather have that come out in a a supportive environment, like um, a storytelling situation, than to to stay all bottled up in there, um, where they're threatened and worried and unable or unwilling or uncomfortable letting that kind of stuff come out. Um, I mean, play therapy is a real thing because because it works. And I think, I think storytelling can be very therapeutic um, for kids when we allow it to, to go into whatever themes they feel mm -hmm. um, that they need to explore. Right. And I, I think, I mean, when I was working on the book, um, my editor was concerned that because I, I can't remember what's what fairy tale it was, but you know, I said that this might bring up some thoughts about abuse for young children and she was like, you better get, you're not a therapist. You need to. So I talked to a number of early childhood mental health people, because the, the thing was, if you, if the child's coming up with something like that, then, then maybe you need to pay attention to it and, and do something about it. And, and the, the therapist said, yeah, I mean, it can come out as a teacher. It's like anything else. I mean, children will talk about bad things that happen whenever they decide to tell it, if they do. And that um, as an adult, we need to be able to support them and figure out, do they need some extra help? Or, you know, do you want to talk about more about it or not? But I think storytelling kind of gives it a, this, it takes it, I found it takes the edge off of, of a lot of what's going on for kids. Sure. And, it, you know, you get it out there, you have your good cry, like we were talking about, <laughs> like last month, yeah. have your good cry. And it's like, your toxins are out and you're, you're okay. And and you know that somebody that an adult is listening to you 
and and hears you. I think that's the thing about storytelling and children telling stories and writing them down is you you can't as a as a, an adult you cannot fake writing a child's exact words down. It can't be like, yes, of course I'm listening to you as I'm like multitasking and like wiping the tables and changing the diapers and, and, and trying to think of like what activity I'm doing next. If you're sitting with a child and they are telling you a story, you are listening and hanging on to every single freaking word that they say. And that relationship building whether they're telling stories about fairies and, and unicorns or they're telling stories about the monster that came into my house with a gun, um, they know you're listening. And you're act, if you acted out with a group of children, they know the whole group is, is honoring their story. And I think that, that that's a wonderful way to show respect for kids. Absolutely. What, what else do we need to know about storytelling and resilience? Um, I, th I think it, it works and it, it is uh, one of the natural, again, I keep going back to all of these things that we, uh, we could do. Storytelling is something not as many people do as dramatic play or process art or some of the other things, but it, because it is, we are a storytelling species and we are a resilient species. And so it's not an accident that the research has shown that storytelling with children, kids start telling stories, all of the all of the things that we've talked about um, promote the protective factors of resilience. And I encourage teachers to give it a try. I've never had a kid laugh at me and and say that was a stupid story. You didn't get it. Right. <laughs> oh boy, will they get home and tweet about it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, before we wrap up, let's for for any listeners that might not be comfortable with with storytelling, um, what are some baby steps into the the exploration of this? I think one is you can you can start with books and then use them as a place of of jumping off. You can start with stories that you know by heart and use those as jumping off places. Um, what else What else would you recommend as a as a baby step? Um, I think, I mean, the best baby step is really thinking about um, folk and fairy tales because they are what Jane Yellen called tongue polish. They're, they're you know, and you can get tons of books. I mean, I, <laughs> it's all in my house right now. Stacks and stacks of books, picture books of, of folk and fairy tales. Like read it to kids, read a different variant to kids and then try telling it yourself. Um, sure. I think a lot of people putting a puppet on your hand often gives people an, an a, a comfort that they might not have if they're just telling a story, um, you know, so stick a puppet on your hand and just try simple stories and just try it, try it with a little group of kids just, and, and see what happens. I mean, and you may hate it and that's okay. There are lots <laughs> of other things you can do to develop re resilience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Give it a, give it a go. It's, it's, it's a fun experience. If you, if you kind of relax and let yourself into it and, and it's like anything else, it takes practice. You have to do some reps uh, to, to, to build up uh, a little bit of confidence and get over that initial fear. But uh, it's, it's something that might be a, a valuable addition to your early learning tool belt. Um, Stephanie, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, one other, one of those questions I gotta ask you. I, I didn't ask you the blood one yet, or did I? No, we did the surgery last yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. So, so if you could replace your blood with something else that would still do the work of blood, but not be blood, what would it be? Oh, glitter. Oh, wow. That's nice. That's oh, nice. Yeah. No question. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, boy, you, you cut yourself and then just, just glitter comes spurting out. Just, I think that would be great. Um, I can't. Oh, goes, I... Goes, glitter goes everywhere. Anybody who's sure. ever glitter. So it can go to your brain and your heart and your toes. And yeah, I think sure. is that kind of material that just like blood, it will like do the job. I like that. I went with some mosquitoes because I thought they they had experience with blood already, and uh, and I just I thought I would be able to feel them going through um, going through my body, and I think that would be fun. Um, who was somebody else went with uh, with grape Kool Aid, which I thought was was great. Um, huh. Yeah, fun. I think that'd be a good option. Yeah, listeners, if you've got thoughts on storytelling, resilience, or what you would replace your blood with, don't 
call or text because you can't do that anymore. But you can go over to playhaven.com, register, and you can you can message me privately or share with the whole group. Um, I'm going to do an episode uh, coming up here. We're going to talk more about what, what Playhaven is, what's going on there. But um, uh, co-host Sam logged on the other day, and, and she was like, uh, Jeff, did you invent Facebook? And uh, so it's, it's basically that format. Um, you know, everybody's got – you can have a profile page. You can do posts. There's, you can set up a private group if you want to have a co- private conversation with somebody. So um, if you know how to use Facebook, you can you can navigate this. Except the only the, the big difference between this is fa- this and Facebook is uh, Playhaven. No ads, no assholes. Um, so it's a it's a lot more more friendly and inviting environment. At least I think. Um, I agree. You wanna you wanna plug anything, Stephanie? Before we wrap um, up. Just well, one I I joined Playhaven and I think it's wonderful and I, I'm I'm committed to to checking in there. So if you have questions for me about storytelling or anything or resilience, you can shoot them to me too. I will answer them on that. Um, and the other thing is, um, I have a. a a storytelling resilience fairy tale newsletter it's free if you want to sign up for it i just need your email address you can sign up on my website imaginationonthemove.com um or shoot me a message on on playhaven and i will sign you up myself and just need your email address don't need any information about you even your name so you don't um, don't need social security every, numbers nope no social no. security numbers comes out every <laughs> week um and i i pick a a a, a it, a picture book um, for folk and fairy tale and talk about uh, different things that you can do immediately in your classroom um, to promote resilience and what protective factors they are. And um, I, I, I have a great time doing it and I'm going down all kinds of rabbit holes that you don't want Lots of good resources there too. And I, I almost forgot about this over at uh, Playvolution HQ. There's a whole section. I collected a bunch of fairy and folk tales and there's, I don't know, two, three, 400 of them there by now, if you're looking for, for those from all over the world. So if you're looking for those resources there, you can just click over and grab them. This, this has been the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast, the world's longest running and most prolific early learning podcast. Thanks for listening. Back soon. Bye-bye. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.